Now then, what's up, folks? This is Tony Brewer. You're listening to or watching, as the case may be, Cogitations. Cogitations is the podcast where we think about things, we contemplate them, we turn them over in our minds, and then we discuss them. Daniel chapter 7, verse 28, Daniel writes, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me. My countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. Now, we're not going to keep the matter in our heart. We're going to talk about it. Today, we're going to talk about God's second law of pardon, which really is just a podcast about assurance. This is something that I talk about quite often. I have released some articles and podcasts trying to uh, focus on encouragement and empowerment and edification for people in their walk of faith as they journey to their eternity. And this is just the natural progression to talk about God's second law of pardon. But regardless of whether or not it would be in the, na- in the natural progression to talk about God's second law of pardon, I received a private message saying, hey, you ought to talk about God's second law of pardon. And they didn't really... They didn't really say God's second law of pardon. I think it's very interesting how it was how it was worded, and it was worded well enough. I'm going to share it with you. He said, the, the listener sent me a private message, and of course, you know, I protect your anonymity. Might be a good cogitations episode to talk about, are Christians saved, lost, saved, lost? The idea that one sin puts one lost so on and so forth. Listen, man, I I grew up with that understanding and I might be a little bit biased against that teaching. I, I think we really absolutely and positively need to teach quote unquote against sin. If you don't teach, if you don't teach against sin, if you don't preach against sin, if you don't, um, warn people to stay on the straight and narrow, if you don't warn people about hell, then you're not preaching the whole counsel of God. We have to preach Acts 20.27, the whole counsel of God. We need to be like Paul in that way. But if all you're talking about is folk in sin, I tell you what, there's there's a quote, and I wrote an article based on this quote, but I'm going to read the quote Hopefully I can find it quickly. I think there it is. Yeah. I have observed that those speakers as a rule secure the greatest number of ascensions who dwell most upon escaping hell and getting into heaven, at least upon the importance of leading lives of absolute consecration to the Lord. In other words, their converts are much more anxious to be saved than they are to follow Christ. It is Absolutely nothing wrong with feeling a little bit of fear about your eternal condition, about your eternal soul. If that's where you try to keep people as a gospel preacher, as a, as a brother in Christ, as a friend, as an evangelist, then you're creating a religious and spiritual codependent relationship. Folks, we need to be more focused on serving Jesus because we love him. God commended his love to us while we were at sinners. He sent his son to die for us. Jesus willingly died for us. We are worth the price paid. Why don't we focus on that? 
at least as much as we focus on, hey, you people need to get right. You need to people, people need to stay right. And if you sin, you're going to hell and God hates sin. And listen, you cannot build on what you're against. And I'm very, very concerned that the Lord's church, at least in Western culture, I don't know about other parts of the world, but the Lord's church in Western culture, I think, is more known for what it is against than what it is for. So today's topic is God's second law of pardon. We want to give you some assurance. We want to give you some confidence. We want to give you some, God forbid, boldness. Good to see everybody in the chat. Rusty Kirby, Terry Crooks, John Exum, Diana Harden, and Sue Ross have commented. There are 15 watching. And uh, man, listen to me. I cannot, I cannot say thank you enough for the support that you've given monetarily, the support that you've given through Facebook. But what impresses me the most is the support that you've given through Substack and YouTube. We really want to focus on YouTube and Substack. If you want to subscribe to Substack, it is absolutely free. And you can also subscribe for $5 a month, and that gets you some some, some um, subscriber, some, some premium content behind a paywall. Not a lot because I focus so much on putting stuff out for free. But if you subscribe to Substack for $5 a month or you uh, like and subscribe to the YouTube channel and you just become a patron or you or you send money through the tip jar um, at nearchurches at gmail.com, give me just a second, I'll put it up on the screen. And if you send money to the tip jar, you are allowing us to focus on this free content that would help people who otherwise wouldn't be able to get that content. So again, it's just we I'm trying to I'm trying to extol and show an attitude of gratitude. So uh, I thank you very very much. So www.nearchurches at gmail.com that's my that's our PayPal and thank you so much there's some of you that have sent money to that PayPal and because you sent money to that PayPal I've been able to order a couple of little knickknacks that I've been needing and they'll be in shortly. And otherwise we're going to use the Patreon money, the buy me a coffee money and the Substack money to advertise and do an ad campaign starting in January, starting after the first of the year. All right. So before we go any further, we'd like to have a word from our sponsor, Lindsay, Lindsay Faye Dotson at gmail.com. Are you part of a church congregation seeking effective ways to spread the word about your event? Well, look no further. Lindsay Dodson specializes in designing modern advertisements for churches, whether it's flyers, postcards, or social media graphics. Lindsay has got you covered. Reach out through a private message to Lindsay Dodson on Facebook or email her, lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com, and that is on the screen. And you can email her for more details. Don't miss this opportunity to make your event resonate both far and wide. Contact Lindsay Dotson today. And incidentally, join the Christianity Now Facebook group. 
The more people we get there, the better that group will be. And eventually it'll start a cascading effect where the more people that join, the more people will join and it'll just grow, grow, grow. So you can join the Christianity Now Facebook group. I am going to leave the tip jar up. So if, if through this you want to send some stars to Facebook or you want to do uh, a tip jar or anything like that, that's great. Once we get monetized on YouTube uh, during a live stream, we can just do a super chat or something like that. Anyway, that's all I've got here. Let's talk about God's second law of pardon. What is God's second law of pardon? Well, first off, um, before we dive deeply into that, I want to share with you a, um, a quote that I found to be very, very excellent. Well, where is it? Well, I shared that on my personal page, on my personal page. Where is it at? Maybe I didn't. Okay. Bear with. Oh, there it is. In scripture, the opposite of faith is not doubt. It's self-righteousness. Folks, I could not agree more. Uh, this is a good quote. Now, the 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 quote that's that the the video rather that inspired that quote, a friend of mine evidently watched the video or at least saw the thumbnail, and I'll read to you what he said. Bear with me. I didn't think I was going to get into that this deep, but I think it's a good segue into God's second law of pardon. So I had a video on YouTube. It's okay to have doubts. And this friend of mine in the We Talk Truth group said, one of the greatest lies regarding Christianity is that you have to have it all figured out. And that if you don't, you're not a really, you're not really a good Christian. I did a sermon series about wrestling with doubt. And for some people, it was like a weight had been lifted off their chest. In scripture, the opposite of faith isn't doubt. It's self-righteousness. And my reply, it sure creates a lot of problems. I have seen tear-filled eyes when I teach God's second law of pardon, 1 John 7, or 1 John 1, 7 and following, the way it is supposed to be taught. Folk can't wrap their head around the assurance of salvation we have in Christ. I fear that a lot of preaching against sin has created pessimism around salvation. Folks, we do not want to create pessimism around salvation. We don't, we don't want you to walk around. God does not want you to walk around wondering whether or not you're saved. What if someone come to you and said, listen, I love you. We have such a good relationship, and I have sacrificed very, very greatly in order for you to have this 1986 Lamborghini Countach. And that's a classic Lamborghini. It was very, very expensive when it came out. It's very, very expensive now, like in the millions of dollars, I think. And so they give you this car, they give you the keys, and then you set it in a garage and you're too scared to enjoy it. You don't treat it as if it's actually yours. Don't you think that's a little insulting to the one who sacrificed so greatly to give you that beautiful, wonderful gift, that valuable gift? I think about what Jesus said in the book of John chapter 10. Jesus said that he came that they might have life, not only that they might have life, but that they might have it more abundantly. 
I feel like that's wrong. Let's go to John, let's go to John 10, verse 10. Let me get this. I, I used to quote that verse, and then I started summarizing it, and now it's been so long since I've quoted it, I'm scared to quote it. And, I, and, and the summary sounds wrong. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the, what's John 8? Come on, Tony. John 10. John 10, verse 10. Where is it at? The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Folks, Jesus wants you to live an abundant life. He wants you to live an abundant life in him. So why do we walk around and we tiptoe and we're scared and we're scared to live and we're scared to act? We need to be bold. We need to walk around with our shoulders back, our head held high, our chest puffed out in, listen to me now, godly pride. And we need to trust, if you'll allow me to appropriate some language from the denominations, we need to trust in the finished work of the cross. Jesus either saved us or he didn't. Did you obey the gospel? Good. You're either saved or you're not. Why would you ever have any doubts? Well, we know why you'd have doubts because you're a human being. But this, this podcast is to help assuage some of those doubts. Let me get some of these contexts. Yeah, 1 John 5, 13. John, that's where we're going next. We're going to go to 1 John 5, 13. Then I'm going to go to 1 John chapter 1, 7 and following. Uh, I had a person tell me that a child of God cannot sin, and if they commit a sin, they are lost at that point. Yeah, that's that's a misunderstand. It's a it's a that's a a, a a wrong usage of the term cannot. Yeah, that's about all I'm gonna say about that. Um yeah, that's a terrible I think that's a that's a that's a that's a gross over application or misapplication of first John chapter three, which we will look at today. Um let me the my logo is covering up the chats. Hold on just a second. Um, Jason Goldtrap's in. Good to see you. And I think I said hello to everybody else. And that's it, Diana. Good, good comment there. See, sometimes I wonder if I communicate clearly. Not that you've given, not that anybody on the podcast has ever given me any indication that I don't, but I'm always scared of that because I know exactly how I, I drew the conclusion that I've drawn, and I know exactly what I mean when I say stuff. I'm just concerned that it gets lost in translation. But evidently, Diana understood exactly what I was saying about that car, about that Lamborghini. The man gave you a Lamborghini, and he sacrificed greatly for you to have it. For you to not use it and throw it in the garage and be too scared, it's like the one-talent man that hid his talent in the dirt. Good comment there. And good morning, Angie B. We're so glad that you're here with us. Now, let me get a sip of this coffee. Y'all, I ain't going to lie to you. I love the United States of America. The roots of my raisin run deep, and they run all the way back to northwest Tennessee, where I grew up in the hills around Shawtown, Sandburg, Real Foot Lake, Troy, Hornbeak. But they some good coffee in Canada. And that's about all I'll say about that. Mm. Okay. 
Now, now we got this taken care of. Um, so before we go to first John chapter five, verse 13, um, let's, let's, let's look at this. God's second law of pardon is often discussed in Christian, Christian teachings, particularly in the context of New Testament scripture. It refers to the process by which Christians already saved by initial faith and baptism is forgiven for sins committed after baptism. This concept contrasts with the first law of pardon, which is generally about the initial salvation phenomenon or experience through faith, repentance, and baptism. So the New Testament outlines various steps involved in the second law of pardon, and I have five here, by the way. Repentance, confession, prayer, continual faith, and living godly, all right? So we'll look at all these, but I just before I look at this list that I've compiled, I want to just go to the scriptures. And John's already brought up First John chapter five verse thirteen. So hermeneutically, every book of the Bible has a thesis. Okay, what is this book about? Well, let me tell you what this book is about. First John chapter five verse thirteen. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Now, that sounds weird, but it ain't. I love how Dan Winkler explains this. John is telling these people, I'm writing unto those of you who believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you know that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have eternal life and that you believe on the name of the Son of God. Why, why are those things? Well, evidently they scared folks. You see, they didn't have First John to go read. So they had to sit and think, well, wait a second, I know I need to be I've confessed that Jesus is the Son of God based on my belief. I've changed my mind about sin as I've repented. I've submitted to the watery grave of baptism. I've come up walking in newness of life, but now I have sinned. What in the world can I do? And then they might surmise that after they after they sin, that there's no more, there's no more hope for them if they sin after they're baptized into Christ. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. That's the goal, isn't it, Terry? Nothing wrong with being bold. And if you miss what we're teaching today, you're not going to you're not going to have the you're not going to have the tools and the empowerment from God to be bold. And you will not find that grace to help in a time of need because you won't even know what to look for. Let's go to first John chapter one. Listen to this. I'm just going to start reading in chapter one, verse one. It won't hurt to read a few extra verses. That which was from the beginning which we have seen, excuse me, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, 
and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifest, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father, and manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Folks, If if so there's 19, 20 people in here. If we were all together in an auditorium, this would be the time where I would kind of tongue-in-cheek ask, if anybody in here has not sinned, would you please raise your hand? And then I would point out that obviously no hands have gone up unless it's little bitty children. Little bitty children haven't sinned. But my point is this. If you're a Christian and you've been baptized into Christ and you have walked in faith more than about 48 hours, odds are you've committed a sin. What in the world can you do? Well, first off, you got to be real with it. You got to know you're going to slip, trip, and fall. Listen to it. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Now, my beloved King James does a really good job here. Cleanseth. That means it started cleansing, and it's continually cleansing. And I have had... People, well, I, I, I put Dan Winkler's clip where he explains this passage. He, he teach, he, he, he teach, he taught through, uh, first, second, third John. I don't know why I can't, I don't know why I can't talk. He taught through first, second, third John at Carnes. If you will look up on YouTube, Dan Winkler first John seminar or something like that, you will find where he teaches through first, second, third John. I highly recommend you watch it. It's very, very good. And talking about this section of scripture, he says, I understand that once saved, always saved is not true. But I also understand that it is true that once you're saved, well, you're saved. The only way that you cannot be saved is if you leave the light. I have an illustration about this. Um, taking a shower. I'm not going to. I've I've told the story in great detail, and it's a little humorous. I'm not going to indulge. I'm not going to indulge and embellish today. Long story short, I slipped in the shower. 
and I grabbed, I was disoriented. I grabbed what I thought was the wall of the shower to steady myself. And then I, instead though, I pushed through the shower curtain and it caused the shower rod to fall and it fell down on me. I fell down. It hurt the shower curtain. It hurt my knee. It hurt my pride. It scared my wife and children. I mean, cause it was a pretty, pretty loud ruckus. My wife comes running in. <laughs> and my, anyway, but you know what didn't happen? I didn't get dirty. Do you know why? Because I never got out of the flow of that pure, clean water. When you're walking in the light, the blood of Christ is flowing. The light is where the blood is flowing. You see this thumb? I, I don't want to gross anybody out, but I'm willing to risk turning a little bit of stomach, turning, a little bit, turning some folks' stomachs for this illustration. If I cut my thumb off and laid it down here, how long would it take before that thumb what the flesh of that thumb detached from my body was dead and not able to be reattached. It wouldn't take very long. Now, granted, if I suffered some kind of catastrophe and you saw my thumb and you put it in ice and within an hour we got to the hospital, it's possible they could attach it back and it wouldn't be perfect, but I, I would have some semblance of motion to use. why is my thumb considered to be alive? But when you remove it from my body and set it on the, set it on the counter, it is considered to be dead. It's because it has been detached from the flow of blood. All right. Now think about this. If I, I'm, I'm right-handed, so we're going to use this thumb. This is my left hand. If I'm hammering a nail, and I rear back into last Tuesday and I go whack and I hit the wrong nail. I hit my thumb instead of the, instead of the nail. Is my thumb dead? No, it's just injured. In fact, if, if it's taken care of just a little bit, it can heal and given enough time, it will heal as if nothing, it, it will be 100% fully functioned. Okay. It will be 100% fully functioned. Now think about this. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1. Brethren, if any man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. What, what do you do if you smack your thumb with a hammer? You take it with your other hand and you grab it like this. You wrap your hand around it to protect it. Then you pull it toward your heart. And then you double over in a fetal position. Normally you're going, oh, and if you ain't got quite all of the world out of you, you might even say some words that Christians don't not say. And you know what? Try not to do that. But if you do, well, understand you're human and you need to repent of that. But the fact is, whenever you smash your thumb, you protect it. You guard it. You bring it close. You do not say, oh, you stupid thumb, and then you cut it off because it has offended the body. Folks, I see why people teach once saved, always saved. 
It's false doctrine. But I see why people teach it. Jesus died so you can be saved. Do you think that once he has you in the fold, he will easily let you go? You have to exercise your free moral agency to leave. That is the only way you can be lost. As long as you are trying, as long as you can stand before your maker on the day of judgment and say, listen, I tried my best and it reasonably be true then you have walked in the light as he is in the light, and the blood of Jesus, God's Son, has started cleansing and kept on cleansing you from all sin. Here's the way a lot of people teach this. Awesome. Andrea uh, McVeigh says, I was able to understand with your illustration on the thumb. Thank you very much. And Diana, Diana Harden says, great illustration with your thumb. Great. Thank you so much. Hey, I didn't notice John shared the link. Guys, do it after the live stream, but go watch Dan Winkler's lecture on 1 John. I used the illustration of slamming my hand in a car door and saying a bad word before I bled to death. I would have no need to worry about my salvation if I had been faithful. Yes, well, there, another illustration is um, if you're driving down a road down the highway and a semi truck crosses in to oncoming traffic and that oncoming traffic is you and you say oh expletive right before the semi truck hits you head on and you die i know some people that teach you're going to hell that a whole life lived in faithful uh uh in, in faith to god in christ would be ruined by one expletive right before you die. And and what that gets into, folks, that there's no assurance of salvation there because it comes down to did you pray last or did you sin last? And so it's a roll of the dice. I really wish our brothers and sisters in Christ could look at the positive of salvation more than the negative of sin, thinking that, the, the thing that they are a sinner rather than a saint that sins. Yes. And, and it's again, what we just read in first John seven, any saint listening to this, please put a one in the comment section. If you have never sinned after you've been made a saint, well, there's no, there's going to be no comments in there that are truthful. I say that. I mean, if somebody was baptized at 9am on this Wednesday morning, if it's only 10 a.m., it's possible that you haven't sinned since you've been baptized, since you've been made a saint. But you understand what I mean. If you've lived any length of time at all, odds are you sin. And if you live long enough, you will sin. Not because you're a bad person. Not because you're rebellious in nature. It's just because humans act like humans, okay? Where do I need to go from here? I don't know that I've got enough time to go to 1 John chapter 3. Let's go over this list here. First off, let's go to Acts chapter 8. I want to read this. This is very interesting. Acts chapter 8. 
Um, you remember about Simon the sorcerer, and he wanted to purchase the gift of God with money, and Peter. Verse 20, Peter said unto him, Simon the sorcerer, thy money perish with thee because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Now, his heart had just been right in the sight of God. And when Simon saw that by the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money saying, let me have that ability. Then his heart wasn't right. So, in God's second law of pardon, if we want to break it down to steps, repentance has got to be in there. A genuine change of heart and turning away from sin is crucial. Acts 8.22, repent therefore of this thy wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. This first demonstrates in God's second law of pardon the necessity of repentance for forgiveness. And then you've got to confess. Now, Christians are instructed to confess their sins. James chapter 5, verse 16, it's written, Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another that you may be healed. This implies that confession is part of the process of healing and forgiveness. God's second law of pardon. Now listen, that doesn't mean that you get a buddy in the church and you tell them every single little bitty thing, I, I don't think that you have to be too specific. I think, however, if it is something that is separating you from God, you need to confess that, hey, listen, I have sinned. It has, let, let's say, let's say that you, let's say that you struggle with pornography. I don't think you have to stand up before the church and say, listen, now I want to, if you've got children here, cover their ears. I don't think you have to stand before the church and say, look, it's Sunday morning, but Saturday night I was feeling anxious. I was feeling lonely. And so I got on my television or I got on my tablet or I got on my computer and I went to a pornographic website and I searched my favorite kind of porn and I watched the pornography until I had an orgasmic relief stimulated by myself. And I know that's sin and I feel really bad about it. I don't think you have to do that, folks. Now, it's very possible that you have one or two very, very close brethren that you can do that with. But if you go before the church, I don't think you have to be that specific. I think all you have to do when you go before the church is say, look, I have something very specific that I struggle with that you knowing the specifics, it doesn't matter because I haven't sinned against any of you with the specifics. I have sinned against God. So I want you to pray for me on my behalf and I'm going to pray on my behalf and my advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous will speak on my behalf. And I know that I'll be forgiven. Yes. Uh, I, I tell everybody, um, I, I, I tell everybody, um, 
this this podcast should be like this podcast is not for children and and it and it now i think i think we have to have spaces like that because we need to speak i think so often we 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 wash stuff in this saccharine sweetness and these things that we talk about don't have near the punch that they should um all right and and i know that you were being a little um no that's not the right word Jason, I can't. I don't know the. I, I've lost the word that I was looking for. I know that you weren't pearl clutching and and speaking negatively of me. There's there's a word. Um, I'm ha- joking, not quite, but but yes, we're jo- we'll use joking until until I remember the word. I know you were joking, although there was there's a little bit of truth to it, isn't it? You know. But anyway, thank you, and that's. I'm glad you. I'm glad. I'm glad you gave me that word, but. Joking's not the right word either. Anyway, yeah, I know you were you were uh, commenting in good humor, but there is a seed of truth to that. There really is. Um, facetious, maybe, because it doesn't carry facetious doesn't carry the bite. Sarcasm does. Anyway, um, Scott Cook. Oh, whoa, where's it at? Yes, I I know. Please, I I think I made too big a deal out of it. I I should have I should have just said joking and not. I'm having trouble forming my words today, Jason, and it's it's bothering me. I think that's what I, I think that's what you're. I'm communicating instead of being jovial. All right, there is yeah. If I step in the wrong direction constitutes a walk in darkness, then would a step in the right direction constitute a walk in the light? While walking in the light, our sins are forgiven, thus indicating that walking in the light is not a state of perfection, but an ongoing progression towards God. This cleansing is given to those uh, in the light. The, oh, the cleansing given to those in the light is an ongoing and absolute. Steve Higginbotham, this is a good quote. Uh, Scott Cook says, Scott Cook here, brother, I got watery eyes. When you said... Do you know why I didn't get dirty because I didn't leave the water? It just reminded me of how much he loves us. You got that right. And I, I'm I'm glad I'm glad my words affected you and in, 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 in such a way that was able to associate that bring to memory that love that Jesus has for us. Yeah, I you slip, trip, and fall, but as long as you never get out of the blood, you're not sinning. So we've talked about how um, specific you got to get with, um, with the, um, with the confession. I think you have to get the only time I think you have to be specific with your confession is if the sin you commit, excuse me. If I, if I sin against the church, then I need to be specific in my confession when I go before the church. But if I did not sin against the church and bring shame towards the church, then I don't have to get very specific. In other words, if if let's say let's say I sin against Jonathan Exum, I need to be specific in my confession to Jonathan Exum. When I go before the church, all I need to do is say that I've sinned. I hope that makes sense. Um now, let me look at we got a couple of really good comments. Whoa, come back. All right. 
when we are in him out of our bellies for rivers of living water. Yeah, go 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 read John chapter 6 and the bread of life disc. No, no, no. John chapter 7 and the bread of life disc. Go read the book of John for the bread of life discourse. No, it is John chapter 7. Yeah, go read John 7, the bread of life discourse. We got as much as we need. We got as much grace and mercy as we need. Yeah, and John asked the rhetorical question there, John Exum. Do we believe in grace and mercy anymore? Yes, but we don't act like it sometimes, myself included. Um. If we uh, flow rivers of living water, if we get stuck in the process, things go stagnant and we need to get back to the foot of the cross, repent and do the works Christ prepared for us to do. Yeah, go back to the beginning. And God is our father. An earthly father loves his son even when his child goes awry. The relationship can be broken, but not without deliberate, prolonged choice. Well, yeah, and look at the parable of the prodigal son. The prodigal son squandered the fortune of the father in riotous living, loose women, so much so that he ended up in a pigsty. Quite possibly the absolute worst place for a young Jewish boy to end up. Now, notice his daddy didn't his daddy didn't facilitate that. His daddy didn't get out there in a pigsty with him. But what did his daddy do? His daddy waited. His daddy scanned the horizon. His daddy rushed upon him with open arms and did not even let him get out the words he prepared to say. He fell upon him and hugged him and kissed him, said, my son who was dead is now alive. Folks, the parable of the prodigal son, the father is God. The prodigal son is us. All right. So, repentance, confession, prayer. Listen to this. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Oh, oh hold on. My, my, my deal jumped. Yeah. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Folks, confession, but also prayer. Because... In that context, it seems to me in 1 John chapter 1 that the confession is to God. Now, why is it that we should confess to God who knows everything before we even say it? Folks, it's for our benefit. It gets it off our chest. Once we confess it, nobody can use it against us anymore. Do you know why I'm I, at the risk of sounding pompous or promoting self or arrogant or prideful. I'm going to use me as an illustration. I am, I have been told a formidable individual and I am intimidating. And there are people who have set themselves against me who swear up and down that more people besides them would come out against me, but they are scared of what I will do to them. <laughs> okay, I did not know I was that powerful. The point I'm making, however, is probably the reason 
the folks that are set against me feel that way and perceive me in that way is because they are powerless against me. There's nothing they can do because I don't care how I am perceived publicly because there is nothing that I have ever done that I won't publicly talk about. Once you put it out there in the ether, once you, once you put it out there in the public, how are you going to, how, how's somebody going to use it against you? They're not. I don't, I, because I don't care if I look like a monster, I'm going to lean into it. And I'm just going to say, Hey, this is me. And this is the way I am. And this is what happened. And this is what I did. And this is what they did. And I don't care. Well, Tony, you could have done stuff differently. Probably could have. What's your point? I was working with the best I could, what I had at the time. Anyway, the point is that that's why confession and prayer, you give it to God. You confess it before man. You confess it to God through prayer. And it helps you because once you confess it, it's off your chest. Could the confession be the daily confession of our walk of life? It, I, I think it very well could, John. I don't know if John is meaning the confess your sins to someone like the Catholics teach. No, in fact, I, I think the confess your sins to someone, I think that verse is uh, James 5.16. Confess your faults one to another. So like if I've sinned against you, I need to come and I need to confess that to you. If I've sinned against the church, I need to go before the church and I need to confess that to the church. But if I haven't, if I haven't, if I haven't sinned against the church, I'm just going to go to you and confess. And if I feel like it, I probably need to go before the church, but I'm not going to be as specific to the church as I am to you because it's you that I sinned against, not the church. And then um, the confession that that um, John is writing about, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is actually, um, well, Oh, I see what you mean. The daily confession of our walk of life. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think what John is meaning here is um, I'm in a constant state of confession. In other words, if I sin, and let's say I sin against God, like, for instance, let's say I watch pornography alone by myself. Well, I need I, I need to confess that to God. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. It's God whom I've sinned against. Well, I mean, obviously my wife, but I'm speaking from a single male. Like I'm just an, an island at this point. I don't, I'm not married or anything like that. I've sinned against God. So I confess that to God. Now, why does I need to confess it to God? Well, one, because first John chapter one, verse nine is in the Bible, but two, there's utility in it because if you can say, dear Lord, I have sinned and you're identifying that behavior as sin, then you're taking ownership of it. Then from that position of power, you can work to bring forth fruit, meet for repentance. All right. Here's a question. 
is the come forward and tell the preacher what you did similar to what the Catholics teach. I think you know what I mean. Yeah, there's no reason to come forward and tell the preacher what you did. It's not in his business unless you sinned against the preacher. Uh, if you sinned against the church, you need to come forward. The preacher will meet you at the, at the aisle during the invitation song. And the only thing you need to tell the preacher, if you sinned against the church, you need to tell the preacher, here's what I did. And here's how I brought shame against the church. And then the preacher can, can speak on your behalf before the church or the speak, the preacher can let you speak to the church and, and ask for the church's prayers. Um, but, but no, the, the Catholics, they, and in fact, it's more than just the Catholics. They teach this doctrine of absolution where, um, I mean, they can absolve you of sins because of their position as a priest. And that's the Lutherans teach that as well. And that's absolutely wrong. Uh, churches of family. If you're struggling with anything, you need to support of your brothers. Yes, absolutely. Now let's do number four, continual faith in Christ. So maintaining faith in Jesus Christ, which is your walking in the light as he is in the light, is essential for ongoing forgiveness. Listen to Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into his grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Folks, our walking in the light, our action we take based on what we believe, our faith, and even the faith, the gospel system, that is how we have access to the grace. And if you want another verse, Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. How do you get to the grace? Through faith action you take based on what you believe. Number five, living a godly life. These things are kissing cousins, by the way. A commitment to live according to God's will is important. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 encourages believers to put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you may put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. In summary, folks, the second law of pardon involves a continual process of repentance, confession, and prayer, maintaining faith in Christ and striving to live a godly life. It underscores the belief that while initial salvation is pivotal, the Christian journey involves ongoing spiritual growth and repentance. You absolutely do not, several times throughout the course of a 24-hour period, go from the state of being lost to saved and saved to lost and lost to saved. Because if that were the case, there'd be no assurance of salvation, and you would then be, it would be a craps shoot, a roll of the dice. Did I sin last or did I pray last? And let me tell you how folks can, let me tell you how folks can, conceptualize this you wake up in the morning and you haven't sinned you know because you don't sin in your sleep and you get ready and go to work and you sin while you're at work and you pray to god to forgive you of those sins and so you do throughout the day you go from lost to saved saved to lost lost to saved saved to lost 
And then on the way home, you pray, dear God, I've sinned against you again. Would you please forgive me of my sins? And you're saved again. And then you go into the house and then your wife greets you at the door and she greets you with a list of 27 things she wants you to do. And you snap at her. You don't dwell with her in knowledge. And since we're commanded to dwell with our wives in knowledge, then that's a sin. But before you can hit your knees and pray to God to forgive you of that sin, while you're changing out of your work clothes into your home clothes, you have a heart attack and die, are you going to hell? Folks, if that's the way God is, I don't want no part of it. I spent years in apostasy because I was taught this growing up. And I thought, well, I just can't get right. And once I get right, I can't stay right. So what's the, what's the use in trying? My brethren, we need to learn the lesson of God's second law of pardon. We need to learn the assurance of salvation that's in Christ Jesus. That's right. It's a living purgatory. Wayne Voss is the book of first John is a great book for giving encouragement. And then hold on. Oops. All right. Um, Eric Owen's book, Getting to Know God, is an excellent read along these lines. Cool. And Jason Goldtrap, firefighters continuously trained. They practice all kinds of scenarios, chemical fires, plane crash, car accidents, all sorts, etc. It's the same with Christians. We must continually sharpen our minds to rescue the perishing. Yeah. Folks, with the exception of exegeting 1 John chapter 3, this subject is really closed. I hope that none of you listening today would ever leave here, would ever leave this live stream and be pessimistic about your salvation. Remember, you can doubt, you can have questions, you can slip, you can trip, you can fall. Keep your nose in the book and keep your feet with the brethren. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayer. My brethren, my beloved, walk in the light. Don't leave it. Take full advantage of the assurance that Jesus has given you. He died so that you would have it. He died so that you would have this assurance. He gave you this awesome thing. Now I can't remember who said it, but don't bury it in the dirt like the one talent man and then walk around timid. Hope. Yeah, he died to give you hope. Oh, there's a sermon that B.J. Clark preached, and I rem I'll never forget it. 
He says he doesn't want you to have a little hope. He doesn't want you to have some hope. He doesn't want you to just have the scintilla of hope. He wants you to be filled with hope. So run as far away as you can from once saved, always saved. But don't run so far away from once saved, always saved that you run into the arms of once lost, always lost. When I perform well at my job, it seems to make others who were there before me feel bitter. One of them even told me to my face that everyone hates me. It was hurtful at the time, but I realized that studying God's word helps me understand that God's love and acceptance is more valuable than trying to gain human love. You got that right. And I will sum your wonderful comment up in, in one meme from the internet. Your booze mean nothing. I've seen what makes you cheer. I don't want to be loved by the world, do you? And I know you don't want to be loved by the world. That's what you're saying there. I want to be loved by God. All right, folks, for those of you that are here, remember, um, I'm going to put the tip jar back up. Woo, hold on a second. Where's it at? Right there. Okay. Nearchurches at gmail.com. You can send us a little donation or subscribe for $5 a month at Substack or $50 a year. Uh, be sure and like, subscribe, and share on YouTube. Uh, consider following us on Rumble, although Rumble's very passive. We just, it passively uploads whenever Rumble gets ready to do it. And um, you can also go to uh, Patreon and buy me a coffee. And those are in the show notes. Thank you so much, Diana Harden. Thank you for that good encouragement. Remember, folks, you don't, you're not lost, save, save, lost, lost, save, save, lost. If you walk in the light as he is in the light, there is no condemnation for you. Read Romans 8. No, it's don't squat with your spurs on, Austin. And I've squatted. Yeah, you, <laughs> Austin. Austin's from back home. Austin's got that got that sharp humor. He said, "I'll give you a tip. Don't squat. Don't sit with your spurs on. It's don't squat. I gotta gotta educate you, man. Don't eat yellow snow. Don't squat with your spurs on. Don't play leapfrog with a unicorn. Yeah." Good stuff. Austin, good to see you. I'm glad you're in the live stream, brother. Hope you're doing well. Tell your, um, tell Joe and, and Diane, uh, uh, love them and, and miss them. And, uh, looking forward to the day where I can come back for a visit. All right. Listen, God bless everybody. This has been Tony Birth Cogitations. You know, all the stuff, uh, subscribe on Podbean, Apple podcast, Spotify, tune in radio. And, uh, listen, we'll catch you on the flip side.